Hello, and welcome to Faith Fitness and French Toast. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood. I want to warmly welcome you back to the podcast. The purpose of this podcast is simple, to encourage, empower, and inspire athletes of all walks of life in their strength endeavors, faith walk, and of course, their best options for post-workout late-night meals. I'd like to thank my sponsors, Skull Smash Ammonia, Raw Grip Chalk, Tennessee Pre, and Primate Apparel for their consistent support and encouragement. For the best hard-hitting ammonia in the game, there's none better than Steve at Skull Smash. And if you're looking to hit a brutal pull and you need that added grip, Raw Grip's Liquid Chalk is the highest quality on the market right now. If you're like me and you want that focus boost in your training without the caffeine crash, then Tennessee Pre is the pre-workout for you. And I'll swear by this, we are savage, but we are humble. Primate Apparel's mentality of sticking to your guns and standing up to those who would do you ill is a vital part of my training, and you can head over to any of their Instagram pages to get some products. Tonight, I have the privilege of chatting with Rob Philippus, the powerlifting squat legend, coach, and little-known car fanatic. Have you ever wondered what it takes to squat 900 pounds raw? Then this is the episode for you. You don't want to miss a single minute of this interview as we laugh our way through tough guys at meets, double cheeseburgers, and the surprising headroom in a Prius. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Rob, what is going on? Not much. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing all right. Uh, I've got my my glass of tequila with me here. I'm excited to, You're supposed to, to, to share chat out that, some. Man. You gotta share. You can't drink by yourself like that. Oh, you didn't get it. I shipped it over to you. It didn't come <laughs> in yet. No, not yet. Oh man. Well, hopefully, you know, by next week it'll get in. I'll send you a new bottle. You know, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm resting easy. I got a night shift for work tomorrow, so I'm enjoying being home as opposed to being in a hotel. Uh, despite all of the blistering heat that I'm sure you're also experiencing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely hotter than I, I'm used to, for sure. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I can relate. As, as a big lifter, uh, I don't necessarily love the heat. I'd prefer to be lifting when it's a little bit cooler, so I'm not sweating out of feels like every single skin pore I've got, you know? Yeah, I, I sweat so much I can't really stay hydrated. So, you know, back in my wrestling days, I had nothing for a 10-pound practice, 12-pound practice. Now I'm a lot bigger. You know, it's it's – Hell, my work day, I'll sew two shirts, you know, yeah. so just at work. <laughs> so we're, I know we're both hoping that this stuff cools down here somewhat soon so right. that, you know, we, we don't have to do laundry three times a week at this point. Right. Well, uh, for those who don't know who you are, I wonder, just kind of starting at the beginning, I know you've jumped through a number of different sports, wrestling, judo, MMA, like how did, how did you even get involved in this crazy world of powerlifting? Yeah, powerlifting was kind of, um, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, a buddy of mine said I needed to do it. You know, I had uh, kind of lived my life. I wrestled in high school and college. And then after after college, I kind of got a job, met met the wife, stayed with, you know, met the start a family, you know, stayed in a little small college town. But I had a buddy that wrestled for the same college who was, uh, you know, more, you know, well, well above average. I think at the time he was like maybe 160, benching, you know, close to four, or maybe not quite four, over four at the time. And, uh, you know, we lifted at the YMCA. Right. So I just go for stress relief. I worked all day or, you know, all night, whatever the case may be. I, I trained, every, you know, three times, four times a week. I had to do something. And uh, one day he was, you know, he kept getting on me and getting mine. He was like, you should do me. You should do me. He's like, I got this meet coming up. I'm going to do, you know, why don't you just enter it and see what happens. Right. And I kind of, that's, you know, since that was history, I had, I think I had uh, eight fights at the time. I was fighting amateur MMA, uh, Missouri, kind of around Missouri, uh, down into Kentucky, you know, a couple of different uh, states, but nothing big. It was amateur, so you don't really get paid. You get compensated for travel, you know, mm-hmm. 
uh, expenses, food. You, they can't really pay you a purse, but you can sell tickets and crap like that. But um, legally, I'm blind in one eye. I have an injury from a child. So mm-hmm. I struggled to uh, make some cards. So if the athletic commission was legit. Sometimes, like in Kansas City, they do eye exams, you know. So if they really broke out a patch, I couldn't pass, right? Yeah. If they used your hands, I could pass. I could kind of fudge it. Well, pro, you know, as medical examiners, it's it's much more strict. There's no way to get past it. Uh, I think 2060 without correction is what they require. So I was in between that and, you know, I think I, you know, I was a little bit lighter, but I was still training. I, I liked building my strength back up. And, uh, you know, I did that meet. I told them 1901, my first meet. You know, I was already 30, whatever, you know, 32, 33 years old. So uh, after that, I was hooked. You know, I did five meets that year. Wow. Five yeah. meets your first year of competing. Yeah. You know, so I had a pretty good base. I think my first meet, I attempted 804 squat. Wow. And I did it. Uh, I opened at seven, something. I went seven sixty six. Pretty much a smoke show. My eight oh four. My first meet uh, on the descent. Like I had a lot of it band or it band pain and like outer quad pain. I squatted a little bit wider back then. I wasn't quite as strong, and I was a lot more um, volatile. Right, like I was much more explosive and out of control. <laughs> and yeah. when I look back, I like I was like, where is that? Where is that now? I could use half, you know, half that intensity. I can definitely apply it now. So. Uh, that's always something that came in the back of the back of your head. You really have to attack the weight. So, yeah, yeah I, I think I dropped. I think I went all the way up to seven ten and dropped seven ten. I hit a PR on my bench. I benched like four sixty two. So, I was super stoked. I think it took me three meets to break a seven hundred pull, but I've barely broken seven hundred. I have never broken eight now. Still, so you know, <laughs> I have not progressed as much as I would have liked. I've still moved the needle. Just it's been slow because I've had some setbacks, but. Squat's been pretty consistent along the way. Naturally, it's what I always enjoyed doing, you know? Yeah, I think uh, not to digress too much and jump all the way back to my my beginning or, like, my, my days of just doing stress relief. Really, you know, the gym was uh, – it's my pill, right? It's how I yeah. cope with life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my, my ex-wife now, my wife at the time back then, she's like – you need to take your ass to the gym. Get, get the hell out of here. <laughs> right. So take that work attitude and that work tone and just get out of here. Oh, I was I celebrated. Oh, no problem. I'm gone. So, um, you know, I had always squatted. In 2006, I had broken both my arms from a motorcycle accident. Literally, like, as soon as I got out of, like, cash from my arms, I was back to squatting. You know, the year after that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> excuse me. The year after that, I got another bike. So that was actually 2005 and 2006. I, two years in a row, I broke broke some bones and wrecked some bikes. So no matter what, I went, made it back in the gym and squatted, right? You know, even with my, my first year, that fifth meet. So I did, like, the Show Me Classic, which is Missouri. I did all these Missouri meets. Uh, I did, like, I don't remember, I did some Iowa meets. I jumped around, right? Well, then I ended up going, the last meet of the year was uh, USPA Nationals or Oh, sorry. It was Worlds. I skipped Nationals. Nationals is always in July. Worlds is in November. I didn't go to Nationals, but I did like a prepper meet. So I didn't cut for this meet. I peaked for two meets, basically. And then four weeks apart, I tried totaling the same weight. But the second one I did with the cut. Well, I ended up totaling 2105 by the end of the year. And that was my fourth meet. No cut, like 317. Uh, fast forward four weeks later, I tried doing the same, this basically the same identical meet with a cut. So I cut down to 308. I think I weighed at 307 and rehydrated, et cetera. Um, hit my squat, uh, hit my bench, everything the same. I think it was like uh, 854, 523, or 507, something like that. 
and a seven um, a seven thirty two or seven twenty eight seven twenty seven pull, and um, uh, seven thirty eight is what I was going for. I think I pulled seven twenty seven. Either way, I jumped to my second pull. I tore my bicep. You know, I finished the pull. I won the meet, but I only totaled twenty eighty eight. I beat some like badass guys. So like I had Grant Hager, my Hager there, and I had Sean Doyle. So two badass, just great guys. Sean Doyle's went on to do crazy things. Grant Hager is still just killing it. You know, yeah. both badass people. Um, you know, I can't I can't really touch Sean right now. He's so strong. So he's a big boy. Uh, needless to say, I slowed down after that. I recomped. I, I got my bicep fixed, I think, 10 days after that or so. Within that 10-day window, I fixed my bicep. I never wore a sling, and I was squatting on, on day 11. So, yeah. uh, you know, I just I, I took it slow. If it hurt, I stopped. But I squatted like two or three times a week. It's all safety squat bar. Uh, fast forward, so that would be November. Well, I did my first meet back at 12 and a half weeks, 13 weeks, and that was uh, RUM 8, my only RUM unity meet. Back then, rum, rum, uh, uh, raw unity meat was like the big raw meat, right? It was big, you know, huge, you know, huge fan base for that sleeve, that traditional like raw strength. You know, they had a wrap division, but their their sleeve division was the big, where the big names would go. And it was one of my big like first time doing a big meat, and I PR my squat. I didn't PR my total, but I still PR my squat. So I know we went through like all the powerlifting stuff, but and I can keep going for days because. <laughs> years but I, I put in a lot of meats so yeah yeah and, and obviously you've seen a great deal of success with it um but i wonder even if you kind of picture that first meet you know i know some people they're going to go in and you know may, may total a thousand they may total 1200 900 you you went in and totaled 1900 your first meet so i wonder even as you first stepped on the platform i wonder if you can even remember and relate a little bit of what was going through your head the first time you ever got to compete yeah, you know, I really wish I could teach some of these things. I, ironically, I was one, one of those, either at some point wrestling or some play, point playing football, because I played football, I wrestled, I did weightlifting in high school. So weightlifting was, for some dumbass reason, it was clean and jerk and bench press, which is <laughs> clean and jerk is the most technical thing you could possibly do, and bench press, right. like, what are we doing here, you know? Yeah. Uh, no squat, no deadlift. I didn't deadlift till I was 31 years old. Wow. Literally. So my first program, I ran, I ran Brandon Lilly's uh, uh, cubed, um, uh, whatever. Uh, he had a program. Uh, it was cube. Uh, I can't think. Of, oh, boss cube or cube boss or something like that. Either way, I ran it like twice and did a meet. <laughs> and basically, what it was is, um, you know, a three day a week program. Uh, each week you had one heavy lift. One of your three lifts was heavy, and it rotated through. And it was a twelve week, I think, program or ten week program, and then you maxed. You know, it was very basic. But it was my first time following a true program. Yeah. Before that, I hadn't deadlifted and I hadn't followed a program. I really went by feel and I would really uh, push it hard for three weeks and kind of take a, a week off, you know, because I was starting to get weak again. And that was the, the traditional, like, going and blast it. But get back to the, what you asked. Um, for some reason, whether was, I really think it was probably wrestling, I had so much performance anxiety wrestling that I didn't know the word or the term anxiety. But I would have so much nerves and so much energy that I was so relieved when it was over, right? And by the time I was a senior, I was a successful wrestler. I did a lot of cool shit. I didn't have a great year my senior year. But overall, I was like 152 and 18 with 99 pins. I was a good wrestler for Florida. You know, it's not like a Midwest state. 
But it was so much buildup that I was always relieved when it was over. So come to powerlifting, this is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it was <even> hard. <laughs> you know, it was hard. It sounds so shitty, but it, <laughs> it, it wasn't, there wasn't like a big crowd. You had more than one platform at this meeting. Right. Was meet. You know, you just go. Ironically, um, you know, that's really the, where the piece is for me. Like people always ask me about the cage. Like I love the damn cage. And there's so much energy, energy there, and I know it plays a role. It has to. There's just too much energy not to. But I couldn't tell you anything about my lift besides it got quiet. I hear nothing, right? Um, and I can talk about that one because that's like one of my famous – or not famous, but my, my most – me, for me, my famous or like my most challenging squat I've ever done was the first time in the cage. Uh, but back to my first meet, you know, I, I was just going there with zero expectations. So it was so much fun is that I had all this potential and like all this energy. I never really deloaded for a lift. Mm-hmm. I really just only trained, right? So, like, right. every once in a while, like, I'd have a break, didn't didn't really plan it, but you go in there and you're like, oh, man, this shit feels empty. You know, yeah. Feels <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to ride this day to the end. And, and really, that's something that did take me really far is that some, sometimes you have a good day and you might, might not be able to explain it. Excuse me. But you just ride that day out. You just kind of play that day out. You take it as far as you want to. Make sure you enjoy it. Make sure you get the most of the day. Well, Going into the meet fresh, I had a little bit of, of guidance. You know, I had a couple guys tell me this, a couple guys tell me that. I had just joined my first powerlifting gym, like ever, you know, and I had and I had some good people there that kind of gave me some pointers. I didn't cut for my first meet. They were like, what's the point? You know, and looking back, like, I was good enough that it might have made a point. <laughs> I wasn't going for a record. <laughs> like, right. A big one. If you touch on, like, beginner mistakes, you don't cut, you eat, you train, you recover, right? Yeah. If your hormones exactly. aren't right, you better fix that. If you're in a, a, a tested federation, then good luck. Because if your test level is low, you're going to have the hardest time, right? Um, you know, regardless, I didn't cut. You know, I had a great knee. I was fresh. I, all my aches and pains, you know, that was probably one of the biggest takeaways for me is that I just make sure I go into meat without anything that could, you know, make me hold back which means I can't have any reservation, any doubt. I can't have any pain. So if I have like boo-boos and, you know, aches and pains or things that are bothering me, I have to get rid of those somehow. And that usually takes deload. You know, I've deloaded all the way or I've backed off and rested all the way up to like two weeks. I think I've done like a 16-day nothing almost. Wow. You know, you kind of get to the point of diminishing returns when you get too long. And then also when you get too tight, depending on your level and your body weight and your, your lifts, um, you can go, you know, down to a week, ten days. I think for me, the sweet spot is around eleven to nine days, somewhere around there. Um, so yeah, I got on the platform there, and it was, it was exhilarating. It was great. You know, um, I've always been the type that the more pressure I have, probably the better I'll do. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. I wasn't going to really do much. You know, if I wasn't really tested, I wasn't going to have a good meet. I wasn't going to perform to my potential. And I went out there. I had a lot of fun i was really disappointed i missed the 804 i think i had it uh but i kind of beat myself i let my air out um you know I, I squatted wider than my second attempt i did a bunch of you know rookie mistakes right i did do no sleeves you know I, that was cool i, I think I, I don't think i wore sleeves until a couple of years in i think yeah. i well you I, squatted 900 something without any knee sleeves yeah la fit us though you know two three years ago whatever it's been now my first LA Fit Expo, I did uh, 903, 903. Uh, 
903, no no sleeves. And I think I turned around two or three weeks later, and that's when I did my 905 in the cage or eight weeks, whatever it was, uh, my first year there. So, shoot, that's been five years ago now or four years ago. So, yeah, yeah not, not to date you and make you feel old or anything. You know, really. So, if you think about it, like if you could really phenomenal progress after like the beginner phase of the first year or six months, you know, phenomenal progress would be able to put like 20 pounds a lift per year. You know, I have struggled to do that on everything for the most part, uh, with the exception of squat. You know, my squats really kind of moved consistently. And if you look at it, I think uh, I got to 854 my first year. I have to look at dates and stuff, but that 903 was pretty quick after that, too. And it took me, a, yeah. I think I attempted the world record, which breaking uh, Eric Lillybridge's squat. And the only reason it stayed where it was, because I think he narrowly missed 954 at the same meet, was because he uh, stepped out, he stepped, stepped away, right? You know, uh, he probably would have bumped it up even higher, but it took me, I think, four or five attempts uh, in meets to break that world record where I taken like 916 before I taken 918, you know, I did all these, these attempts to break it and, and nothing. Right. So ironically, I'm jumping all over the place now, but ironically my best me, uh, you know, I didn't really cut very hard for imagine that, you know, I, I had a lot of stuff going on in my, my life. My weight got down. I think I skipped dinner and made weight. So I was super light. I was super right. fit. Uh, would have had the best me in my life, but it, I, uh, I dropped my third deadlift, <laughs> you know, so, um, that first meet, no expectations. It's the easiest meet you'll ever have as long as you can really shelve all your fears and put it all out there. Right. So for when I coach guys, it's been my hardest thing to teach and kind of get through their head is that we don't hit it in the gym so we can hit it on the platform and we don't prove to ourselves in training so we can literally perform on the day it counts and that puts a lot of pressure on a person right yeah and that should be good. that should be good good energy that should make you go like step up to be bigger than you are but i've had a lot of a lot of clients you know you know i'd say the majority of my clients male and female that is a negative thing for their performance right so that's the whole thing you know, I'm in leadership as a, as a profession and something I've had to learn like 10 years ago, a decade ago. One of the hardest things I've had to learn um, was literally um, that not everyone reacts to certain inputs the same way I do. Not everybody's like you, right? right. You know, things that come naturally to you, you know, may not come naturally to somebody else. And that's and then figuring out how you can get them to either perform or see it the way you do or or um, really just look at it from a different angle, right? So um, I'm jumping all over the place, but the key is to have no reservations. It's like literally going off to war. I just put on my samurai suit and I don't care about if I come back, but I'm going to honor my fucking family. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And it's yeah. literally, that seems dramatic, <laughs> but that's literally like, I have this ritual. I didn't even know I had it, but it came from wrestling. It involves cutting weight. It involves fasting. It involves you get to the point where like I don't think right because I'm so depleted. Well, that that helped me realize like I'm closer to death. <laughs> I eat for a day, I drink, and you know what? I feel like a million bucks. <laughs> well, all it does is takes all the focus from like oh shit, what if I miss? Oh shit, what if I if I don't do what I think I should do? Oh, it takes all that that worry and anxiety from the performance and it puts it on the cut 
And for me, that's always worked, right? So I focus on one step at a time, baby steps. I make weight. I recomp. I try and walk as little as possible. I lay on the couch. I watch TV. I eat my six meals. And I show up the next day without a thought in my mind, knowing that I did all the hard work for the 12 weeks before. Yeah. You know, uh, when I get people to trust that they have what it takes and they've done the work, you know, if they really believe in the process, they perform, they surprise themselves. That's really what the sport is good for is that you're not competing against anyone, you know, because regardless of the level, it's just you, you know. And when you get out there, if you if you surprise yourself, you won. It doesn't matter who's in your weight class. It doesn't matter what PRs you hit. If you get one lift that you surprise yourself, that's that's a success, right? You're going to take it back to training, yeah. you know. But I'm, I'm talking more than I wanted to. I know you got a couple things on your list. Let's get at them. Come on. <laughs> no, that's good. It's comprehensive. Um, yeah. Well, but I wonder. I'll, I'll get deep in the weeds, and then we'll, we'll never get out. <laughs> I know. Well, we're going to get tangled up. People are going to have no idea where we're headed with this. But we're, it's what good. What are you talking about? I thought this was about lifting. <laughs> Yeah, we're keeping them on their toes here. It's, this is good. Well, you know, you, you talk about kind of the preparation for the competition, but obviously we know that the competition is the fun part. The training is the fun part, but then you've got, you know, a million other things in the day that all kind of play towards that training. So I wonder for you, what does it look like to really set those personal daily habits to reach that top level of success instead of fucking around for 23 hours of the day and then having fun in a squat rack for an hour. I guess, you know, uh, by default, I've always been in some kind of job career. I've had a day job, right? And that, that helped whether I like it or not, that will shape and mold my routine. Yeah. I noticed that if I was, say I was taking a break from work or say, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I stepped away cause I, I had moments where I, I took leave and I, I had a couple months off here and there. Uh, what came out of that was that I missed a morning meal. I got stiff and crampy and I jacked up my back because I was in bed too long. Ironically, when I broke my old record or some of my, actually the whole, my whole career, I slept four to six hours. This is the wrong thing to say here. I slept <laughs> four to six hours for four years. Shoot. For four years. Well, at the very beginning of my career, or three years, probably at the very beginning. So the first half of my career, I was driving three hours round trip to work and working nine wow. to ten. So I literally would like I would commute. So one job was seventy five miles away, hour and a half each way, and I would literally do that commute, get to the house, hit a shake, hit some pre workout, be glad I didn't fall asleep on the way home, and drive twenty seven minutes to the gym. Oh. Train for my two and a half three hours, drive twenty seven minutes back. You know, eat, sleep, hug the kids, take a hot bath because I loved my hot showers back then, and I still do, I guess. Or I take a bath and I, I get in bed. Repeat. So if I slept 10 to 4, I was doing good. A lot of nights it was 11 to 3.30. And wow. I if I didn't get up to piss. And, uh, you know, that was my, my, my jam. I did that with one job for like a year and a half, and then I did it for another. I was driving 90 miles. It was just a faster speed limit, but it was still three hours <laughs> And then I still had to go past the house into Omaha. I was living in Iowa at the time. Mm -hmm. I took 34 highway, excuse me, across Iowa, all the way past, um, you know, through these, all these little farm towns, all the way at 55 mile an hour speed limit or 65, depending on what part of the road it was, you know, for an hour and a half each way. I drove a Prius, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was that, in a that's Prius. an image. <laughs> that's yeah, an image. I, was, I, 
Actually, you know what? A Prius has the most headroom out of the like four beater cars I, I test drove. Wow! It's like I want to test. I want a car that is decent on gas and it's ten grand. I went and drove a bunch. I <laughs> the Prius that had like hundred and twenty on it. It was a newer car, but it had the most headroom, the most shoulder room. I was like, whatever, I don't care. That's awesome. I, I did the math, you know. So digress some more, but um, thirty. So three hours a day in a car equates to thirty-two days a year in a car. So what can you do with a month? I literally drove a month a year, man. Wow. You know, it's disgusting. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Disclaimer folks. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard to swallow now looking back on it. You know, was it worth it? Yeah. I support my family. Could I have done it better? I'm sure I could have done something a little bit different, <laughs> but it's it just how shit happens. You know, it's yeah. but looking back. So this, this started about training in my routine. So my routine is work hard, get up early, don't don't dwell, get out of the house fast, you can make sure you got a meal in your hand, do your job, come back home, hydrate all day, eat as many meals as you possibly So that's another thing, man. I'm telling you all the bad stuff. I'm eating pretty good right now, and I'm starting to turn back down. And when I set my little record, just I was, the Rob Philippus tell-all. We're, yeah, <laughs> we're exposing all you. The well, this was the day, like, Brandon Lilly had put out something. He could eat, like, five, like 6,000, 7,000 calories a day. And it showed all his junk, right? When he first started, like it was hilarious. I mean, he's since cleaned up, and you know, we all like have this curve. And I think even one time, Dan Green and Stanford and were talking about like, why do I feel good after I eat like all I can eat at Hardee's, you know, or a car in California? It's Carl's Jr., right? Right. Why do I feel good? Well, yeah, it's not the fat, it's not the protein, it's not the preservatives, it's all the damn salt, right? But right. anyway, during this time, I was driving to a company. I was making, I was working at Candy Plant. I work in maintenance. In a manufacturer, food processing manufacturer. And every day I'd eat three double cheeseburgers, add Mac sauce, two large Cokes, and two large fries every day. Every single day. I'm talking, I'm not exaggerating. Like when I say every day, I'm saying every day. I would, I'd be so like busy at work and soaked and like, man, all the problems at work. And I just drive by five minutes, like five minutes down the road to McDonald's and I just chill. I'd ex- ex- examine. The meth head that served me food. And right. eat my junk food because it was like the meth capital of the world, wherever I was. <laughs> I keep spacing on the name of the town now for some reason. But either way, oh, Creston, Iowa. There you go. Creston, I Iowa is where I was driving to. It is the middle of nowhere. But anyways, I ate that meal. Well, Max House is like 150 calories additional, you know, a, a burger. So like this meal is like over 2,500 calories, right? <laughs> right. I did that every day for lunch. Like I at the time, like I was um my first pile of me, I broke 300, but before that I was I was struggling to get to 300. You know, I think before that I had done my last fight at 265. And like so it was it wasn't that hard to cut to 265 at the time. It took me a long time to break three and stay over three. And then once I got over three, you know, eating like that, it wasn't that hard. But right. you know, it's it's just amazing that the amount of inflammation, the amount of inflammation I would have had during that time. And the amount of work I was doing in the gym, it's like no wonder I didn't. My back always felt like shit. No wonder I couldn't walk across the plant without like having to lean against the wall and like nobody was looking because my back was so hurt on fire from the back pumps. You know, so um, my routine is doing my job, going to work for my family, and getting up early. So when I was didn't have to work, when I took a, I stepped away for like I don't know a couple years ago, I stepped away from work and was at home for like three months. My training went to shit. You know, yeah. I felt stiffer. Um, I was, I didn't feel as, as as fresh as I should have for the amount of sleep I had. 
what happened is I was missing a meal. And um, ironically, with all that low sleep, I wasn't getting sick as much as I should have been. But, you know, I was probably on the borderline fight or flight. So when I got to training, like, I'd get, I would tap into adrenaline and that got me through my workouts. Like, I'd have days, like, I could barely make it to the gym. I was like, man, I don't even know how I'm going to get here, let alone train. And I would surprise myself and have some of the most phenomenal days. Ironically, I didn't get hurt. You know, thank God I didn't get hurt. But it helped my training. When I had all the time in the world to sleep, I wasn't eating enough. You know, that's my fault. But when I had all, all the sleep, you think would would have benefited. But my routine was so off. I was waking up at different times. I was going to bed at different times. I had no routine, and it hurt. So my routine was just work. You know, working day shift, getting out crazy early. You know, sometimes 3.30 in the morning to leave by 4.00 to get to work by, you know, five thirty six o'clock, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's a, you've you really bounced between some things here, man. I'll tell you what, yeah. <laughs> you know, water and salt in that first meal, I think are very important for a powder. <laughs> it starts to tone for your whole day. I, you know, the flat out. Yeah. You know, if, I get up at, if I get up at, for instance, if I get up at four to get to work by six or five 30, I'm going to have, you know, my six to eight eggs for breakfast before five o'clock. If I get up at eight, I'm gonna have a meal. I'm maybe gonna get two meals before I train, maybe in a, in a snack. When I worked, I literally get three to four meals before I train and a snack on the way to the gym. Yeah, right. There's a night and day difference. Twice the amount of calories, essentially. Yeah, and recovery for that matter. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> so get up so, early. Get, 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 early. get up early. Get some salt in you. That's what we're hearing. That's it. That's it. All the McDonald's you want. No, I'm <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny sure. you mentioned. Hey, Bruber has it. I lost a sponsor one time for McDonald's, just so you know. <laughs> really? No. It's, 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 <laughs> no, I was going to say, I was like, wow, this is the best kept secret of the powerlifting industry. <laughs> well, oh. you know, it, it's funny you mentioned the salt. So literally, of course, Stan Efferding's doing his vertical tour right now all the way across the country. Mm-hmm. So just on July 4th, I was literally just at his seminar because, of course, they're all free. I was like, I'm not doing anything else. So, and of course, he goes, put more salt in your food, Moses. And I was like, yeah, but like that feels counterintuitive. He was like, Moses, put more salt in your food. So I'm glad you're backing that up. So everyone that's listening, salt, no, it's your secret weapon. It is. So I, I picked that up um, at a Stan Everdeen uh, seminar at uh, Dan Green's gym at Boss Barbell. My first year in powerlifting, nobody knew who I was. Uh, my wife, my ex-wife now, my wife at the time had bought uh, sign me up for the seminar for a birthday present. And I went out there by myself, did the seminar, end up, you know, meeting Dan Green and, and, his, and Sparkle for first first time, or at least getting some time alone with them. Yeah. Uh, at the time, you know, Dan joked because I was so surprised. I, I showed up in like the middle of the day to, to do like the heavy squat of my peak of my program. I think I was supposed to like triple 727. I was real stoked about it. He actually told me I squatted high and then... <laughs> It's really funny because I, I really pride myself on Oscar. Maybe I did. You know, I must have, right? I trust Dan. But he was working the front desk, and he was like, yeah, people are always so surprised that I'm at the front desk of my gym. You know, I still have to run the gym. You know, they think I just kick it. And he was working at the front desk at the time. This is, shoot, maybe over five years ago now, you know, a while ago. And I ended up going to, to lunch with him and Sparkle and, and Daniel. And it, was just, it was such a cool experience. You know, and that seminar the next day or whatever, maybe it was that day, you know, that was the, one of the big takeaways is that, you know, Stan was just preaching and going, carrying on how you take, you know, figure competitors, you know, bikini competitors. And literally they'd have like, you know, swollen ankles and cankles. And 
other than that, they looked pretty good, but they looked okay, but they couldn't get that like next level. And you literally just take out some chicken, have some beef or steak, and increase the salt. I'm like, poof, like all the puffiness went away. Their salt pump started working and they looked phenomenal. And I as soon as I heard that, I was like, that's how come my my fast food works. So when I recomp, I literally like add salt to everything I touched for the 24 hour recomp. Yeah. Like I'm a, I don't drink salt water because that'd probably be detrimental. But my first glass definitely has a, a teaspoon of salt in it. Like I just I don't care. I just want salt because I'm so depleted. You know. Yeah. Definitely. The first thing is um, my my cocktail is is uh, 10 to 20 grams of creatine, uh, a long squirt of glycerin, and um, a teaspoon of salt and a, a, a emodium pill. That's my cocktail right after weigh-ins. After I chug like. Pedialyte, whatever, because I don't, I don't do uh, uh, IVs. I've never done one. Uh, That's fair. <laughs> That's understandable. I've seen fighters have bad responses. It's rare, but I just never done it. I know if I was maybe if I was leaner, I'd probably want to do it. I, I don't know. I've always made some reason not to do it. So <laughs> yeah, well, probably just stubbornness and lack lack of wanting to try new tricks or something. I don't know. <laughs> you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's the shame yeah, of Jordy Powerlifting the light. No glycerin, but glycerin is what they put in gum to keep it moist, moisturized and retain water. Um, you know, pull water into it. Uh, I, I think I picked it up from some female powerlifter my first year. She was talking about it, cutting. I don't remember her name now, but she at the time she was kind of popular. And uh, you know, I tried it, and then I did a little bit more research, and I think it's, easy, it's actually used for like a laxative, like for enema. But it's also a natural sweetener and um, like a, a moisturizer. You can find it in like the pharmacy of uh, Walmart. Yeah. A good place to start is like two tablespoons morning and the night, the, the day of recon. So obviously, you know, as we've learned with all the tangents that we're kind of going on here, you can be quite the storyteller. And I know, especially as the man who wears the really tight pants, you know, that goes and works out and he's casually with an SSB on his back with 700 something pounds. I'm sure you get the weird guys coming up to you, the weird stories. So I just wonder what's some of the weirdest stuff that's happened to you, you know, either in training or competition. Yeah. Nothing's really crazy weird has ever happened in training. You know, you get guys that want to talk to you and won't leave you alone, all that stuff. Most of the time it's pretty cool and mellow or I'm not even paying attention to anyone or I've got the headphones on and the head down. Uh, but as far as like the small pants and all that, like your sphincters in your body are very strong. Like if you've ever had an accident, you need to go to the goddamn doctor and you need to say, hey, either I passed out and got drunk and got ash raped or something's really wrong with me. Because <laughs> I've never had any accidents in my tight pants in any sport I've ever played. And I've seen guys shit their pants wrestling. I've seen guys shit their pants, uh, I think, lifting before. I was like, how does that even happen? What's wrong with them? All right. <laughs> I literally went from like the toilet to the platform and still didn't have an accident. So if any of that shit's happening, you got problems. Go to the doctor. Right. Right. <laughs> but no, I, the weirdest thing I've ever happened is literally I had a guy get puff up and get serious with me right before I'm supposed to walk to the platform for my opening attempt. After my last heavy warm up at the uh, LA Fit Expo, he came up to me and got tough. And thought he was going to ask me. I literally had to ask him, do you want to step outside? Do we want to just go do this like men? Because I was so pissed off and felt so disrespected that I'm, I don't think like I'm somebody at all. But it was just so rude. It was not accident. And I, and I really don't believe in coincidence. And this was not one. Yeah. He came up to me to try and sabotage my day, try and get me worked up, which he ended up not, right? I did ask him that calmly. I was like, do you want to go outside? And what he was, he was trying to get at me for making fun of him for squatting with bumper plates. <laughs> and I blast him. I shared it. I was like, you know, 
he had all the comebacks in the world. And my 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 following at the time was very passionate and very involved, and they all lit him up too. And all it was is like find a better gym, you know. At the time, I, I just couldn't stand making the weight look bigger. And that's exactly what he was doing. He had four plates on there, and he thought he was something. And, it, like, literally, you are only this, – this is funny. Like, I literally just had to eat – my wife and I literally just drafted an email about this. If you can't check your ego and, and show up in the gym, like, pick another fucking sport. Yeah. Literally, you will not make the progress you deserve. It's like, it's like walking into YMCA one year and seeing this guy – you know, curling like this right. five years later, and he looks the same fucking way. Yeah. Nothing about him's changed. And good for him for maintaining all that shit. But you know what? He slung a lot of dumbbells that could have made his arms bigger. Yeah. Right? And and that's really comes comes down to is being honest with yourself. So I I gave this guy some shit. He thought he was gonna come up to the warm-up area at the LA Fixville, lean over the rail and talk some shit to me. It didn't work out. He ended up coming to apologize. I think either not, I don't know if it was that me. I was waiting for it afterwards. So I was like, this mother, I'm not in the mood. Yeah. <laughs> like, I will sit there until you get pissed off enough to do something, and then I will defend myself. I, sh- I, I promise you that. Like, I might not swing, but I will definitely protect myself. Anyways, that meter, I think it was actually a, the next meet I did in California, or a couple meets later, he came up and apologized and talked to me. He was, he was all right. But he had just got his feelings hurt. His skin was a little thin that day, and he couldn't take a joke. Or, or I'm just a bully. I don't know. Yeah, I am, I am a tourist. <laughs> I am a tourist, and I did have two big brothers, so yeah, I literally grew up not to talk too much about like childhood bullshit. But I literally grew up thinking if you didn't pick on, that's how you showed you like somebody. You picked on them. Yeah, all my friends got picked on in, in middle Absolutely. school. Absolutely. You know, and yeah, take that one step further. Go into a locker room and not get picked on. You are not a. You don't have any friends. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> I literally got into the other day about calling somebody a, a profanity, and they thought it was a hate word. And I was like, man, I, I grew up my whole life saying that word. I'm really sorry, but I didn't mean it like that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, there's just such a difference now. Like, there is – there's a level of offense, which some of it could be valid. But, like, I see the running joke where it's like, you know, man, I think of TikTok, for example. You know, you got all the young kids that are on TikTok, and, you know, one of the guys will comment on some dude posting a thirst trap. and They'll be like, thank God I have friends who would beat the shit out of me if I posted something like this. <laughs> because it's just – it's been lost. I'm like, bring back bullying 2020. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I posted – I don't know if it got that much love, but – I posted a meme or something I either I stole or just made. And I just said, there's no bullies in the jungle. Like, what are we, what are we going to do? You know, let's get as primal as we can be. There's no bullies out there. Nobody's actually this, this term, I don't know where we can't, got it from. Jennifer would be able to tell me, but there's nobody coming. Yeah. Nobody's coming to help. Like nobody's coming. Like if you really operated your day to day on that mentality, you might make progress, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so changing topics here a little bit, you know, um, you know, one of the the big kind of themes that's kind of come out this season, you know, I've chatted with Stacey Burr last week, uh, chatted with Justin Dubb. So if you're listening, check out those episodes as well. Um, both of them kind of brought up these things of positive affirmations. And I know on your page, you're big about posting motivational stuff as well. Um, and, and just at the end of the day, you know, no one is coming. Like if you, if you're going to squat 900 pounds, you're going to be the one to do it. Nobody's going to do it for you. Nobody's going to do the work for you. So I wonder if you could speak into a little bit of the, the importance of self-positive affirmations, but then also the limit of where that's maybe excessive and getting a little bit too full of yourself. Yeah. I, I don't know if really you could get too full of yourself unless you're impacting somebody else's life negatively, yeah. but this is really a funny topic because 
you know, uh, a year ago, two years ago, before I met my wife, um, Jennifer, I, I would have said some really horrible things about affirmations just because I didn't look at them the right way or I didn't see them in the correct light. I had affirmations. I, I really thought affirmations were kind of a joke and like didn't have a place. And then and through just, you know, discussion with her or some introspective thought, a lot of things I do are actually affirmations, right? Yeah. So a lot of the things that I repeat and regurgitate to myself, or my, like my self-talk, has so many affirmations in it that are just a little bit abstract, but they are all affirmations, right? You know, like what you think will be, right? So just controlling your thoughts, not letting them go negative. That is an affirmation. If I can envision something, like I, I do. I, I do these things naturally from wrestling, from lifting, you know, I have to see it, believe it, and, and be able to embrace, accept that it's a possibility. Success, that is, right? The winning, the, the successful lift, visualizing it, like knowing that it can happen. You know, so these are things I do naturally. You know, as far as like writing them down in the mirror, you know, I, I think that's silly. But the same token, I've, I've got some old notes that I found in like old workbooks where like I'll have like, I'm ordering parts. I'm talking about downtime on some lines and this equipment and shit. And you look at the bottom left and I've got like my numbers all mapped out. Yeah. Yep. Right. So my PR is that like on my perfect day, this is what it's going to be. You flip over to the back of the, the old notebook. You'll see it again. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm literally like subconsciously I'm writing down numbers of my totals and my PR is that I want to hit. <laughs> right. So these, those, these are, this, that's like my mirror, right? That's what yeah. I'm looking at throughout the day. That's my, I'm doodling this shit. I'm, I'm like, in the back of my mind, I'm staying focused on where I need to go and what needs to happen to do that, right? So those are affirmations, right? Um, obviously, you have to – so this is another thing, real young, like, I don't know, first girlfriend, second girlfriend, like, you literally have to love yourself to care for somebody. Right. So think about that. If I hate myself, <laughs> I can't do anything right. Yeah, it doesn't set a good precedent. <laughs> I can't do anything good. You know, I'm always putting myself down. Or hell, if I'm with somebody that's always trying to put me down, bro, guys, girls, you will start to believe that shit. Yeah. I don't care who you are, how tough you think you are, because I used to think I was so goddamn tough. You know, I could take so much shit. You eventually succumb to what you're around. So if you're around negative people, you're going to be a negative person, or it's going to impact you negatively, right? And uh, you know that's. <laughs> That took me a couple decades to learn, you know, or definitely I'll say a decade. I, I didn't realize the impact of your own environment. So that being said, you know, you definitely have to care for yourself. You have to take care of yourself. You have to have you time, you know, whatever that, that may be. I'm not a very religious person or I don't necessarily have the stereotypical faith, um, but I do have beliefs of my own. But I do definitely take time to myself and dedicate 15 minutes to something that could be considered if you want it to, it's it's literally considered prayer. You know, it could be on the kids, it could be on the dog, it could be on your walk, it could be on your book. You know, that that in a sense is a form of affirmation where you focus on yourself, right? You know, that's that's self-love, self-care, whatever. So all these things like I just didn't put the light in this framework around it and, and call it affirmations, right? But I did them. And and my wife, Jennifer, now, you know, she's helped me to understand like what what it is I do and how I do it. Where I, before, like, I thought self-help books and affirmations and, like, these things were, like, like phony. But in reality, I do them. I just do them in different structures or different formats. For sure. Right? So they're very important. You, you got you to gotta be able to see it to do it. Yeah. Right? No, I, I, I agree. You know, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because even Stacy said, you know, she said, hey, if you want someone that's going to 
you know, tell you, hey, maybe you shouldn't pursue something. She's like, don't ask me. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to tell you you're going to do it. You know, it's that best <laughs> in the world mentality. It's like, what? Why the hell? Like, we only have so many years on Earth. If we're powerlifting, we're probably got even less. So why, why wouldn't we go out and, you know, pursue those dreams, you know, and continue to affirm ourselves? So I think that's a good word. Yeah. Sure. Well, if, a bit naive, though, too. Like, I literally, I literally believe anybody can do anything they really want to if they really put in the time and effort. I agree. You know, and, that, and I don't know where that came from. I think I could probably trace it back to one of my brothers and or my mother or heck, even my dad. You know, literally, they just did shit that some people would think was like not possible or, or they would struggle with. And in reality, you know, they, that door was just open a little bit early for me that I thought like, if I put in the work, I worked harder than the next guy. I could, I could have whatever I want, yeah. you know? And that, and that took me really far. You know, that, that took me to a very high level in some things, you know, yeah. just naturally. Yeah. Well, and, and you kind of tapped into it a little bit in your answer. Um, this is actually one of my kind of the last couple of questions I have are some of my favorites. You know, obviously the name of the podcast is Faith Fitness and French Toast. We can talk about fitness till our faces turn blue. I mean, that's that's what we live and breathe. So we're OK with that. But but one of the most interesting questions I found has kind of been this question of faith that you have kind of already answered a little bit, because I think it's kind of taboo, and especially like in the powerlifting industry. Like it is like no one wants to talk religion and, and understandably it's something that's really become so politicized, especially in the States. But, but I do wonder, you know, because I think that regardless of whether you're super religious, not at all satanic, whatever it is, you've got something positive to offer the world. And so I do wonder for you kind of even in that prayer answer you kind of gave, what does your own personal faith or, or outlook on the world do to impact your training, your relationships uh, and just your worldview in general? Yeah, it's a multifaceted question, but I'm going to sure. tackle it as, as, as best I can. You know, I already alluded to I'm not very stereotypically religious, right? Yeah. I, you know, I, I believe I am ultimately accountable and responsible for anything I bring into my life. You know, sure. so once I have that mentality, I think I'm, I'm much more freer to kind of accept and embrace that good things happen. And I'm responsible for making them happen. Like, yeah, real men make their own destiny, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but it's when it comes to like a higher power, you know, maybe there could be one out there. I'm not going to leave it to me to decide. I want to make sure my kids have the freedom to have any kind of spiritual journey they have. But we're going to do essentially what is right and what I've been raised as far as like moral code, character, ethics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I believe there's good in the world. I believe people are good. You know, I yeah. I think really if you, you can get so gosh darn far if you really just assume positive intent of people yeah. and you will approach every situation with a different light. It's really tough. It's so tough. And I, I actually have my profession to thank for that, you know, approaching situations, you know, whether it's like a coaching, um, a, a mentorship, or even a disciplinary situation, right? All these things take such unique um, ability to control your emotions and have some kind of emotional intelligence that if you don't have the right outlook on it, you are going to fumble and jack the situation up and you're not going to get the result that you need. Yeah. So, that being said, like if I assume positive intent, I can get a lot further to the root cause of what's going on in the situation because it's usually, you know, it's always some kind of personal dynamic and personality thing, more so than it is the uh, what, what your the um, what the result was, whether it's like some negative result that we don't we don't want, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you go back to your question about faith and lifting, you know, I stay accountable to what I do, yeah. knowing that I change my outcome, and you know that usually doesn't that usually kind of circumvents any complaining about my life. Yeah. 
right? You know, if I, if I think I control my life, then who am I going to complain to about it? Sure. Yeah. You know, I'd rather work hard and be patient. Um, you know, really, that's that's the fundamentals of everything. Work hard and be patient. Yeah. You know, it's not going to happen tomorrow. Uh, you know, that whole cliche, it was, Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, it, it, it's, it's true. It is true. You know, patience and the tortoise is going to win, man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not there. It, and I think that's a, a, yeah, that's a good, that's a, that's a good mindset to have, you know, a similar uh, Matt Mitchell said a similar thing, you know, I chat with him, you know, just about a month ago and he kind of said, man, like at the end of the day, like I'm accountable for what I do. He's like, if, if I treat someone badly, I kind of expect them to treat me badly back. Cause that's what I deserve. It's on me. It's like, he's like, it's not on anyone else. And I, I almost think of myself driving, like whenever I'm driving, I automatically assume that everyone else on the road's a dick, just like automatically. I'm like, you guys are the worst. You know, you'll get the 55 year old woman driving in the left lane, five miles under the speed limit. Sure. And I've, and I've got like two scoops of pre-workout in me. I'm going 30 over and I'm trying to get, you know, get past her and I'm like mad, but it is, it's, you know, assuming positive intent about people does go a long way and thinking, Oh, she probably isn't thinking that there's a guy trying to go to the gym behind her. That's exactly right. So nobody out there is going to do something that they think themselves is wrong. Yeah, They're making a decision to do something they think is right. So how, how jacked up and crazy is that? Like, you are judging, or we are judging, I'll keep it on myself, I'm judging that person using their horn as an imbecile because their horn does nothing for the situation, right? Right. But in their mind, they think that horn is protecting something. Right. <laughs> so if I put myself in their situation and imagine what they could possibly, uh, their intent of using that horn is, maybe I can react differently yeah. than to get mad, right? So, yeah, everybody makes a decision usually thinking they're making the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so my personal favorite question, and this has actually also been featured on Mark Bell's power project. As I, someone DM me today and said that Andrew Herbert made a point of bringing it up. So of course I have to, Um, but you know, the French toast aspect, there's a running joke for three seasons that I never mentioned food, but I am a foodie. I'm a hundred, I'm 275 pounds. I got to enjoy the food. You know, if there is one breakfast food, it's your ride or die. There's no physical implications of you eating it. What's it going to be? What are you having? Yeah, I'm uh, fried eggs over easy, man. Fried eggs over easy. Over easy, yeah. Five, six eggs over easy, and as much butter as you can float them in. Yeah, (laughs) that's how I eat them. Yeah, if there's a black a black burnt edge, you just throw that shit in the trash. You don't know how to cook eggs. That's awesome. (laughs) I want all my yolk, and I don't want any white runny snot. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. it's gross. Like That's the worst. Some toast, man. Actually, I don't eat toast anymore. I eat, I eat uh, uh, steak and rice or beef and rice. So I put that over my re- beef and rice or my steak and rice, and that's that's my breakfast. Always some butter, though, man. Don't don't cheat. Don't. Yeah. Don't, oh, of course. Yeah. Don't miss the butter. Yeah. You don't want to hit it with that fake stuff. Oh, I can't believe it's not butter. Oh, I can't yeah. believe I'm not going to eat this. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, I, I was born down south, man. You got to put that shit in butter. Yeah. Oh, of course. It has to be. It has to clog every artery by the time you're done eating it. It's, it's Actually, that's a, that's a misconception, man. If you eat right and you stay away from the refined flour and carbohydrates, you'll be okay. So you're telling me I can't eat French toast on a daily basis? Is that what you're telling me, Rob? Now, if you want the butter, <laughs> that's right? brutal. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, Kellogg ruined people, man. Kellogg invented carbs for breakfast. That kills a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. 
It does. It does. It's a sad. It's a sad. The guys who are out there eating grape nuts every morning for for breakfast are punching the air right now here at that. But <laughs> well, you know. Well, so the last question I got for you, you know, we're we're obviously we're moving into a point where people are kind of starting to be able to train again. They feel like they can go back to normal. They may have to wear a mask in some corporate gyms, but for the most part, they're able to get back to training. What is your advice to people as they kind of jump back in, maybe think about meets coming up? I know the showdown's coming up um, in September. I know the Kern is happening in November. Like there's there's some big stuff in the works, fingers crossed. What's your advice for people as they get back started, you know, after five months of probably sitting here and not doing too much? I, I you know, this is the same thing with anybody going to the gym the first time. Um, you know, whether you're advanced or not, I'm sure the advanced guys are going to bounce back a little bit quicker and they won't make those beginner mistakes, but... You know, you need to really limit that those first couple of weeks. Definitely the first session, maybe the f- whole first week, you need to kind of do half what you usually do, intensity and in in volume, right? Because you're just going to overdo it and not be able to train, and that's like the worst thing you ever can do. So, uh, you know, just take it slow and and ease back into it. I luckily have not had to do this, so right. I, I'm very glad I had a trailer full of shit that I have <laughs> set up for years. Like right. Up, so. <laughs> yeah, you're you're one of the lucky ones. You know, I I kind of I know everyone probably more active on Instagram than ever before are sitting there. They're like, man, these sons of bitches are getting to work out. You know, I'm sitting yeah. here eating popcorn. Oh yeah, and the area. I think the gyms around here just opened not too long ago, and yeah, it's it's just been crazy. Yeah, no, it's it's chaos. You know, it's it's almost like the New Year's resolutioners all over again. It's like we got two rounds of New Year's resolutions. You oh, know, the for same sure, year. for sure. <laughs> Well, folks, this was just an incredible conversation with Rob Philippus. You can find him on Instagram at quads like Rob. And if you're looking for a great coach to learn from, you can DM him for more info. If you love that episode and you're craving just a little bit more from me, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify at Faith Fitness and French Toast or visit us on Instagram at faith underscore fitness underscore podcast for full interviews, trailers and more for the rest of the season. We have a brilliant guest list for this season, so don't forget to turn on your post notifications on Instagram and stay connected on your platform of choice to be the first to hear about guest announcements and early episode releases. With that, I'm Moses Allwood. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you July 15th with Briani Terry.